Welcome to the Legacy House Podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, go with me to Romans chapter 4. Uh, Romans chapter 4 is where we're going to go and spend a little time this morning uh, in the Word of God. And uh, we're just glad that you're here. And, uh, and, and I, believe that, I believe that by you being here, uh, it's not just something you chose to do on a Sunday morning. Uh, but I believe that you being here has purpose and carries weight, uh, not just uh, for us inside of this room, but inside of the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? All right, and uh, and so we're we're really glad that you're here. Romans chapter four is where we're going to go, and uh, you know, as as everybody knows, and we're not going to spend uh, really much of any time talking about this today. But as everybody knows, this is a a big week, uh, obviously for our country and for our nation. And so I would just encourage you as we go through this week to be in prayer, uh, to be in prayer for uh, you know our country and and for the future that God is leading us into. You know, I don't think that we should walk into weeks like this with fear or trepidation in our heart about what God is going to do. But I believe we can walk into it with boldness, knowing uh, that God's will is going to come to pass, uh, that we don't have to worry about like, well, if this happens, did somehow people supersede the will of God? No, it says that every ruler who's established uh, is, is under God's authority and covering. It doesn't catch him off guard, which is a good thing uh, in Jesus name. So if you've got a, a moment, I want to give you a second to to get out maybe something. Maybe it can be a phone, a pen, a piece of paper uh, that you could take some take some notes on today. I want us to. We're going to spend a little time, out, like I said, out of Romans chapter 4, but I really want to give you the opportunity uh, to write some things down today. I believe that, that God is going to speak to your heart today, and I believe he's going to speak to your life. Like we said, I, this isn't just a, a college lecture that maybe you set in you know, years ago, many moons ago, whenever you were in college, that you're going to take a few things away from. You're going to forget 90%, uh, but you're going to hopefully remember five. No, I believe God has something to speak to you specifically today. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, look all the way down. Uh, in verse 18 is where we're going to begin uh, reading today. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, verse 18, it says even this. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. It says, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he was about a hundred years of age, and he figured his body was as good as dead. <laughs> that's a, that's a life-giving testimony from Abraham right there. He's like, you know what? Figured I'm good as dead. So uh, here he was, father of many nations, hundred years old, a little bit of context. I doubt many hundred-year-old people are thinking about having kids. Uh, uh, you know, Janet Jackson's pregnant. Praise God. She's like, what, 60 years old, 50 years old? Praise God. He still works in mysterious ways. So, you know what I mean? Like, maybe it's not, you might be 75 here today, and you think your childbearing days are behind you. This is a word from the Lord for you today. Raise your hand right now. He wants to bring life to your loins. I'm just joking. Anyways, so, some of you are like, I do not. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Uh, I've got great grandkids. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Says, and Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he was about 100 years of age. He figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. I'm glad that Abraham was speaking on his wife's behalf. That's tricky business right there. Uh, in verse 20, it says, Abraham never wavered. 
Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and he brought glory to God for he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. That's a powerful set of verses there. And it's tucked away kind of obviously in the New Testament. Abraham was a a, a character, a figure uh, of the Old Testament. And and kind of his life and the testimony of his faith uh, was really not just seen in his day and age, but it was something that was kind of not just patterned, but but looked back to as kind of a lesson for all of us throughout not just his life, but the lives that would come after him. The Bible was taught a lot in Jewish culture was taught or built around the idea of storytelling and and, and keeping traditions alive and letting people know about what had come before them. I love what Mr. Terry said this morning is that we as a house need fathers. And we do. We need, you need fathers and mothers inside of the house. That's why as a church, we want to be, we we have to be a multi-generational church. I'm young. I get that I'm young. People ask me almost every meeting, well, how, so how, how old are you again? I get it. Like I'm 30 years old, but you know what the importance of me being 30 is? The importance of me being 30 is, is only really significant if I have myself submitted to fathers before me. I love the fact that Mr. Terry says that he's got spiritual fathers that he looks up to and that he stays accountable to. It is important that we have fathers and mothers in our life who can lead us and guide us because guess what? There's a lot of times where I have really stupid ideas and uh, and I can get really, and I can get swayed by my flesh in a moment about what I think I need to do. And sometimes you need a spiritual father who maybe can see something you don't see and say, hey, guess what? That's wrong. Like you can't, like I love where he said the spiritual father, he didn't, he didn't beat him up over it. He just said, look, this is something you can't afford not to do. You know, often I, I was talking to somebody the other day and specifically about the idea of being a generous church. And, you know, often we want to see our church being generous before we are generous. Like I want to see you give and then I will give because you are giving. But really the biblical principle is for all of us is that as we give, then God takes it, multiplies it, uses it to reach not just the needs of inside of this house, but the needs beyond this house and into our community. Uh, and so I, I love that this morning. But you see this with the life of Abraham. Abraham himself was a father. And uh, he, he had been called to be at least, but he kind of initially thought that his chances were good and gone. And we're not going to really spend a lot of time on the life of Abraham today, but it's just kind of the context for where we're going. Because Abraham, in the very first verse there, which is so great in verse 18, it says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. I don't know about you, but I've been in points in my life where it felt like there was no reason for hope. The election season we're in, sometimes people would say, well, there is no, I don't want to vote for either one of them. Like, and it's the, it's kind of this, you know, it's just like, what really is the hope? And Abraham, even when there was no reason for hope, he had received this word from the Lord uh, that he was going to be the father of many nations. He's a hundred years old. Everything is stacked against him, but yet he still continues to believe. But I think that what we see from the life of Abraham here is not just that Abraham was a man of faith, but I believe really what we can see from this this text is that Abraham was a man of convictions. And today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about convictions. 
and it's not often talked about probably in the word and in church often, but I want us to, I really believe it's important in the day, the age, the culture that we live in, and the world that we're surrounded by, that we talk about really what it is uh, to have uh, and what convictions actually are. So if you're taking notes with me today, you can simply write this thought down if you'd like, just to kind of give us a little bit of context for where we're going. Uh, and this is kind of the title of our time together, and it is Convicted, Not Conflicted. Convicted, Not Conflicted. We, we live in a society that's often conflicted about a lot of things. We're conflicted about uh, political issues. We're conflicted about religious issues. We're conflicted about issues inside of our, even our own homes and families, things that we don't agree with, don't understand, don't know. And we can find ourselves often living very con- uh, conflicted lives where we've got this on one hand and we've got that on the other hand. But God has really called us not to be conflicted people, to be, but to be convicted people. And the Bible says that there's no condemnation in Christ. So there's a big difference between uh, conviction and condemnation. We're not talking like convict, like, you know, the guys out here working the road crew, uh, you know, cutting limbs off of Quintet Road somewhere. We're not talking about that type of convict. We're talking about that God has called all of us to be convicted. There has to be something inside of our heart and our life where we are convinced, fully convinced, because that's really what being convicted is is that I am fully convinced of this, so that you can't sway me. Like a news report I I see isn't going to change my mind. A Facebook article I read isn't going to change my mind. Someone's opinion isn't going to change my mind. But I am fully convinced. I am convicted of what I believe. I think often when we really dig down into the issues, not just of the church and America and all these big things, but I think when we dig down into the issues of our own personal lives, what we often find is the areas that we are struggling with are areas where we lack conviction. The areas that we find ourselves wavering in, back and forth, not knowing is this or that. Should I go? Should I not go? Should I listen? Should I not? Should I say something? Should I not? We're conflicted, but we're not convicted. We're conflicted really about what the true answer is without ever walking in the true conviction that God has for us. Um, Have you ever seen like uh, when you, like the iPhone has an app on it, has the compass app, like where it tells you uh, what direction like north is, you know, and how many of you actually know how to use a compass? Like, Oh, amen. Oh, the, well, that makes, that makes about five of us uh, that actually know how to use a compass. And uh, the interesting thing about uh, a compass is uh, everybody, you know, understands the idea of like there being true north on a compass, right? And, uh, and, and, and it kind of gives us direction. And I remember as a kid, we used to love to play in the woods. Um, I don't know why, uh, but we just did. We loved to play in the woods. And uh, my grandma every year for like Christmas would get us some sort of, you know, accessory that boys would love that we would put in our little backpacks to play in the woods. And she'd buy us like a snake bite kit. Uh, and I was like, do you like, like, I, I hope I didn't get bit by a snake, but if I did, I had a snake bite kit and uh, I was ready to go. Uh, and we had all kinds of stuff. And she always, she always bought us these little compasses and we had these little clear plastic compasses that we would like, you know, hang around our neck and we would go out into the woods, which was really just like about 100 feet of, 100 square foot of trees behind our house. It really was not woods. It was just, I lived on a golf course and it was, we were just kind of playing in the rough. Like that was basically uh, all, the, all that it was. And, uh, and so uh, we, would, we would go out into the woods uh, and we would all be standing out there with our compasses. And we're like, oh yeah, like, like I think the house is that way. We're like, you can clearly see the house through the trees, but like, no, nah, according to my compass, like, yep, it's right there. Like, no, Dummy, it's right, like, I can see, like, I can hit it with a rock. Like, of course, your house is right there. But what happens in our life is, is really is that I believe convictions are a lot like a compass. 
convictions are a lot like a compass because it doesn't matter like whatever direction I turn, north does not change in, in regarding to my direction. And what I mean by that is this, is that just because I say this way is north doesn't actually mean that this way is north. How many of you actually know right now, without thinking about it for more than two seconds, what direction north is right now in this building? Mr. Dana, amen. Some of you are like, some of you are like walking compasses. Uh, and some of you just waited until somebody else pointed that you thought was pretty smart. You're like, that, that, definitely that way. It's probably right over there. Uh, like, you know, you can wait until uh, some of the, uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. And you're right, north is that way. But like, it's funny because I can say all day long that north is this way, but north is never this way. I can talk about it. I can say, no, I, but yet yeah, you might believe north is that way, but in Jesus' name, north is that way. No, it doesn't matter uh, what we say. North is not that way. It is a fixed location. And, and convictions in our life are fixed locations. They're fixed beliefs. They're fixed markers that, guess what? There's some things that the word of God says is something that we have been called to. And it doesn't matter whether or not we prefer it or choose it or feel strong or bold in it. It doesn't matter because that is something that the word has called us to. It is north on a compass. It doesn't matter if you're facing south, it is still north. But what happens is, is when we live a conflicted life, we wind up going in any direction and beginning to believe the fact that whatever direction I go is the direction that God is leading me. When I believe that our lives and the purpose, quote unquote, when I talk about the purpose of God, I love to talk about the purpose of God. I know that I probably talk about it a lot. Why? Because I believe that if we as a church and the church in America could understand our true individual, unique identity and purpose, we could see a nation saved. I believe it's really no more grand than that. It's you being who God has called you to be. But that's neither here nor there. What we're talking about is convictions. And what I believe with a conviction is, is that often we feel like, well, God has called me uh, to go this way. I was talking to somebody a few months ago, and I said, man, I said, you, man, you got to feel good about yourself. He said, well, why? And he told me it was something the Lord had, had, had told him to do. I said, man, I, I am amazed right now. And he was like, well, why? What, what happened? I'm, I'm slightly sarcastic sometimes, and uh, this was a moment where I was being sarcastic. And I said, man, I said, Dan, what God just spoke to you? He said, well, no. Well, what did God? I said, God just spoke to you something that he has never spoken to anybody in the history of man. And not only has he spoken something to you that he's never spoken to anybody in the history of man, he actually chose to speak something to you that totally contradicts his own word. That is amazing. Like, God is rewriting the Bible just for you. Brother, you are blessed in Jesus' name. No, like, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that, because, but that's often how we believe. Well, I know, I know God said this, but, you know, the life that I've lived, the things that I've seen, the parents I had, the job that I have, the kids that I'm raising, they, they've caused me to believe that this is the path that God has for me. And we try to convince ourselves that south is really north and that north is really west, and, and we try to convince ourselves of everything other than the fact of what God has actually called us to be convicted in. Convictions are a fixed point and a location. And when you really begin to talk about this idea, and we begin to look at what it means to be convicted people, I believe that that's something that's missing in the heart of the church. The Bible talks about how when people are easily, easily led astray by the whims of their flesh or by false teaching or things that come along. And it's, it's interesting that that happens so much in Bible times because it's still happening so much now. 
And I, I was talking to somebody even last night, and I said, look, I said, I'm not afraid of the persecution or the lack of religious freedoms that might come in the future of our country. Why? Because the greatest period of church growth in all of human history was the first century church where it was under its greatest persecution. And I believe that, you know what, really, I believe in the next 50 years, and like we're recording this, and Lord willing, I'll be alive in 50 years. I'll be 80 years old. Uh, so I might have one of those little rascals, you know, those little scooters you ride around on. I might be in a rascal, but Lord, I hope I'm still going. And so uh, if I have a rascal, like, I hope it's a cool rascal. You know what I mean? Like, not like a big bulky one, but like a little slim one. You know, like the little, little scooters you see people on? I don't know if they're called rascals. I like to call them rascals, but anyways, I just, that, I, anyways, I hope that when I'm 80, I'm still ticking along. But I believe in the next 50 years of the church, I believe that you'll see the identity and the makeup of what local church looks like even begin to change. I believe the idea of building one main large campus will cease to exist because I believe that like the New Testament church, the more our religious li liberties and freedoms come under attack, the more we'll have to go back to a first century model, which will be smaller locations in multiple locations, uh, reaching people on almost a more like from a public standpoint and from a public like meeting point almost more discreetly uh, rather than mega campuses located in one place. I just I think that that's a very real possibility if our religious liberties come under attack. That's neither here nor there. But what I do believe is that as we walk towards that future, I believe the worst thing that we can do as people is to be conflicted people to where we're easily pulled to the left or to the right. Is that if we're having a good day, God is good and he has favor on our life. And we're having a bad day, he has forsaken me and I'm not even sure if he exists. I'm going to go get me, you know, uh, whatever. I'm going to go get me a little Buddha and I'm going to put him in my room and I'm going to light some incense that I had from 12th grade. And, you know, we're going to fire this thing up because God doesn't apparently love me anymore because I had one bad day. What happens is, is it seems ridiculous. We're like, well, I would never do that. But yet internally inside of our own spirits and minds, we do that often. It's because we're conflicted. It's because, well, if God loves me, why is he allowing this to happen to me? If God loves me, then, then why is my relationships like this? Why is my job like this? Why, why are all these things happening? And, and the, the, the truth of life is not that we won't face trials and heartache, but the truth of life is just what will we do when we face them? I love the fact in verse 18 it says, Noah, I mean Moses, or Abraham, gosh, one of them, Paul, Jesus, <laughs> Timothy, Blind Bartimaeus, like, jeez, like, Louise, help me, Lord. Uh, but Abraham, it says, even when he had no hope, he kept hoping. Even when he had no hope, he kept hoping. He said, my body's as good as dead, and so is my wife's in Jesus' name. Like, well, here he was talking about his current state, but yet he still had hope. You know what I believe even from this? I believe that it's okay to be aware of our deficiency as long as we still have hope in God. It's okay to be aware of the area that you lack as long as you don't let the area that you lack just be a talking point on Facebook rather than something you're allowing the Lord to deal with you on. Because what happens is we can often use our issue to be a point of insecurity to gain sympathy from people around us. <laughs> I've walked through a lot. Great, we all have. We all have. And as, long, and as long as we allow our issue to be our identity and keep us stuck right there, we'll never actually allow ourselves to become convicted people. It says, look, my body's as good as dead. I'm 100 years old, so that's why I know if God does this, it's God. Like, it's a miracle. It's not because I'm 20 full of life and a newlywed. It's because I'm 100 years old. I'm about like, I, I'm done. And you might be 20 and feel like you're done. I've met some 25, some 30-year-olds who feel like they're done. I tried this thing. 
I, you know, I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I had a parent. I, you know, I tried this thing. It just didn't work. But today I believe what God is calling us is he's calling us to be convicted individuals. Where we don't just allow ourselves to be like swayed to the left and the right by every single moment, by every single issue, by every single problem. But where we really allow our hearts and our lives to take root in what God is doing. Let me give you a couple things today as we look at this. The first thing, I'm going to give you three things and some stuff underneath it so you can kind of write it all down. The first thing that I believe that we're going to do if we have to, if we're going to walk in the convictions that God has for us is that we have to be, we have to be committed people. We have to be committed. And not just committed, but we have to have a commitment to the scripture as our authority. It's not about just being committed. I'm not, I'm not asking you today to be committed to a local church. I'm asking you to be con- committed to the scripture. Because here's what you'll find is that if you're committed to the scripture, you'll understand what God says about the local church. So if I try to get you to be committed to the local church, then you're going to just feel like I'm trying to get you to be committed to our program and to our vision rather than understanding what God says about actually being planted in the house of God. Well, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. Like, there's, there's things that the word teaches about the local church. And so for us to be convicted individuals and people, we have to be committed to the scripture as our authority. Well, we understand that the scripture is the authority of my life. A lot of people have a hard time giving in tithes and in offerings. You understand that if you haven't tithed, it's not an offering. Offering is what comes after the tithe. And what we don't want to often read about in the word of God is what does he say about being generous? We say here at Legacy House that God has called us to be generous really in three areas, which is our time, our talent, and our treasure. It's not just in our money that God has called us to be generous, but it's in the gifts that God has called us. You find in his word, he called you to be generous. It's in the time that you have, he's called you to be generous. So if we're generous with this and we understand these things, it's much easier to be committed if we're committed to the word as our source rather than as a plan or a program as our source. If I understand that God has called me to take care of the widow and the orphan, then I'll understand the reason why we're doing hearts and table bags. It won't just be a cute little program that we're trying to do to hand out some bags to 100 people so we can take pictures of it and put it on the internet. No, if that's all you think it is, you've missed the whole point. The point is the Bible says to take care of the widow and the orphan. You know why welfare started in our country? The church pulled out. Between 1900 and 1930, the churches in America stopped taking care of the widows and the poor in our country. True story, historical fact, go look it up. Before that point, 95% of the relief that was given to, help, to homeless people, to poor people, to widows, to single moms, whatever it might be, 90% of the relief that was given to people in need was given by the church. But what happened was at the early stages of some of the um, kind of more modern movements inside of the church, what the church began to find was, you know, it feels a lot better if I kind of keep the money and I invest it in us it's going to look a lot better if I keep the money and I invest it in me. But what's going to happen is, is if I do that, then I've left a huge vacuum in our nation of people who were once biblically being cared for, who now there's a void and someone has to take care of them. Therefore, our country had to step in and they created the welfare system. And there's a lot of Christians who I hear scream all day long about the welfare system and all this kind of stuff. And it does this, that, and the other. Well, guess what? Like, let's turn the mirror back on ourselves and realize that about 85, 90 years ago, the church decided to take a step back from its biblical responsibility. Therefore, secular, the secular world had to step in and fill the need. And it's sad. 
Because the things that we've made as talking points and platforms for us as Christians and believers as like, well, this is what I believe and this is what blah, 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 blah. And I'm against that and I'm against this. Well, guess what? We have a responsibility as the church not to just adapt to culture and be what culture says we're supposed to be. But as the church, we should really be the ones who are on the forefront leading the way. But here's what happens is we have a lot of third-party, parachurch, like uh, relief organizations that have had to step up simply because the church wouldn't and the church won't. And I believe what happened was, I believe often now in a church, they'll tell you that if you have 20% of your church who tithes, you're doing great. I personally am not satisfied with that number. If you have 20% of your church, most you know, leaders will tell you, if you have 20% of your church that tithes, you're doing great. Man, if we're doing this off 20%, right now we, we have about 18 to 21% of people inside of Legacy House who call themselves members who tithe. If we're doing this, the bags, the truck, all these different things, off of 19%, think of what we could do off 75 Think of what we could do off of 100. The reach we could have in this community would be phenomenal. But what happens is I believe that when churches stopped giving, people stopped giving. Because I can't see the seed that you're sowing. Therefore, if I can't see where the church is sowing seed, then I'm nervous about sowing my seed in this ground. Because if this is going to do things that I'm never going to see the fruit of, then really what am I doing? But I believe that the greatest days of the church are not even the current days, but I believe the greatest days of the church were 80, 90 years ago from a giving and from a reach standpoint. Why? Because there was convictions. Because they were committed to the scripture as their authority. And the scripture says that we've been called to take care of the widow and the orphan. Therefore, if we're not taking care of the widow and the orphan, my God, we're doing something wrong. We can go to bed at night and pat ourselves on the back for a well-run service, but at the end of the day, if we're, not, like, if we're not taking care of the widow and the orphan, like what are we doing? If we're not giving on a regular basis, not just at Thanksgiving with some cute little bags, but if we're not giving on a regular basis to those who are in need, then what are we doing? And I believe the commitment is hard when we don't have a, 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 a commitment to the Scripture as our authority. Number one, Kind of under this, under this commitment, we have to acknowledge that the scripture is the inspired word of God. We have to acknowledge that the scripture is the inspired word of God. The scripture is not just, you know, this isn't a, you know, some people treat, you know, different things. I've seen a lot of people who will treat, you know, uh, you have like, some people like C.S. Lewis and different things like that. And I, I like C.S. Lewis. I think C.S. Lewis is awesome. Uh, you know, he's a great guy. Uh, but sometimes they'll treat C.S. Lewis books like the Bible. I mean, well, C.S. Lewis said it, and uh, that's, that's in the canon. No, it's actually not. Uh, it's not canonized uh, just because, uh, because C.S. Lewis said it. Like, I get it. He's a good guy. But the scripture is the inspired word of God. It is the inspired word of God. I'm going to give you a reference for this. You can write it down. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures here that you can write down, and you see it here on the screen for you. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Pretty cut and dry. We don't really need a lot more than that. Well, but I don't know. If we believe the scripture is the authority of our life, then we have to believe that the scripture is inspired, that it is given to us by God. Let me give you the next thing. So we understand that we have to be dedicated to the scripture as our standard of thinking. 
dedicated to the scripture as our standard of thinking. Let me give you the next verse. 2 Timothy 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. 2 Timothy 1, verses 13 and 14. It says this, Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, it says, Though, sorry, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Let me give you the next reference for this. Mark 7, 13. Mark 7, 13. It says, And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is the only one example among many others. Leave that on the screen real quick. Here's what happens is that he's warning them here in the book of Mark, and he says, look, you have stopped using my word as the reference for what you do, and you've begun to use your own tradition as the marker for how you live and what you think. It's easy to allow culture, society, the last conference we went to, the last message we heard preached, our favorite author, shape how we think. I promise you this, if I ever lead you to think anything outside of the word of God, not only feel open to correct me about that, but that isn't the heart and intention of anything that we do. Here's what I believe we've been called to be. It's not an Armenian church. Armenian theology is Wesleyan theology, which a lot of you know, charismatic, non-denominational churches are. We haven't been called to be a Calvinist church of a, you know, reformed theology. What we've been called to be is a biblical church. Our hope is not in a certain sect of theology. Our hope is in the word of God and the commitment to it as the authority in our life. The next thing under this in our commitment is excellence in our study, use, and application. We have to be committed to be excellent in our study, our use, and our application of the Bible. 2 Timothy 2, uh, verses 14. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. It says, remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker and one who does not need to be ashamed and who can correctly explain the word of of truth. I hear a lot of people, especially a lot of young adults, uh, talk about the word of God and they begin to say things that, that like are not actually in the Bible. You ever heard somebody quote something uh, that's not actually in the Bible? Like it's funny because you see all this stuff, especially this time of the year with Thanksgiving, all the stuff that says eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, a lot of people leave out this next part of that verse, uh, which says eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Like it kind of makes the... <laughs> Kind of makes the, uh, the, the Thanksgiving decoration a little less, uh, you know, a little less appealing. Uh, when someone's sitting at your house, you're like, oh, the Bible says eat, drink, and be merry. Yes, it does, because it says for tomorrow is your death. Like, like <laughs> so if you want to quote that scripture, brother, like, go for it. Uh, because what happens is we often either quote it out of context, or we just quote some Chinese proverb and say that it's in the actual proverbs. Well, you know, uh, you know, the apostle Confucius once said, no, like, like, no, like, it doesn't work like that. But what happens is, is if the Bible says that we have been called to study and show ourselves approved. We have to be committed to excellence, not just in the understanding of the scripture, but the use and application of the scripture. There's nothing, the Bible talks about how dangerous it is to know the word uh, or to have the word in your heart, but not know how to use it. A misuse of the scripture can begin to not just do damage in your life, but to the lives of the people around you especially to young leaders. So I'm super committed. Like, I, I love, I, I, 
I look forward to, to conversations about the word. Why? Because if we understand the word and we're committed to it as our authority, then what we can understand is that we can acknowledge that it's an inspired word of God. We can be dedicated to it as our standard of living. And then we can really understand how to ap- apply it inside of our life and not just use it to prove our point, but we can allow it to prove and to guide how we're supposed to live. I've seen the Bible, I've seen people try to use the Bible to prove their argument. People right now, I, people all over Facebook are trying to use their, use their Bible to prove their political argument. Whatever their argument is, they're trying to prove it through the word of God. A lot of social and cultural issues, people try to use and pick apart verses out of the Bible rather than the scripture as a whole. Take one verse out of context. Well, it's in there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But like, did you read the verse before and after it? Because we can take one scripture and make it be almost anything we want it to be. We can take one scripture and make it believe in our heart that, well, this scripture says this way is north. I know the compass. I know the Holy Spirit in my life is saying this way is north. But you know what? I read that one scripture that one time at VBS when I was eating some cookies, and I believe that this is what it tells me I'm supposed to do for my life. I prayed one prayer one time when I was 12 years old, and I haven't had any fruit of salvation in my life. But I prayed a prayer one time. Salvation isn't about just raising your hand and praying a prayer. Salvation is about a relationship that takes root inside of your heart that changes who you are. You can pray a prayer all day long, but if you're not changed, I doubt if you're saved. The Bible says that we haven't been called to judge those who are lost, but it says that we have been called to judge those in the house of the Lord. We have been called to judge those in the house of the Lord and say, hey, man, brother, like you're, you're outside the lines. You're standing over screaming that this way is north, and that's not north at all. You're standing in the Gulf. <laughs> like, you're looking at the horizon, brother. Like, there's seagulls in front of you, okay? Like, you can't. we want sea land. But we can often use whatever we want. We can pick and choose. And, well, but Jesus said, yeah, Jesus did say that in one verse. But in the verse before and after, he said this. There's a difference between quoting a scripture and understanding the context of the scripture as a whole. Today, I believe that we have to walk in the commitment that says, God, I am going to be committed to the scriptures of my authority. Number two, it's construction. Construction. If we're going to be a convicted individual, we have to not just be a committed individual, but we have to be a constructed individual. Construction of our beliefs and our convictions based on that authority. So here's what I mean, is that if we believe that the scripture is the word of God and the authority inside of our life, then we have to then construct our life to look like we actually believe that's the authority for our life. So what that means for all of us in here is, is that there is some things that that will change inside of us. Can I ask you this? Just think about this internally, internal question. No condemnation of Christ. What do you do? What do you do? And why do you do it? Now, what do you not do, and why don't you do those things? I'm talking about the things that you're like okay with and not okay. Well, I'm, a, I'm against, I'm, a, I'm against Barney because you know, like, okay, well, why? I'm like, obviously, you're not against Barney or whatever. Maybe you are. Someone, like, no, I am. He's a little purple devil. Like, someone needs to cast the spirit of confusion out of that man. Like, I don't know. <laughs> if you believe that, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? If you believe, you know, some people, I, 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 I knew a young guy who actually went to Bible college, and, and he said, you know, he said, the Bible talks about really that, that marriage is not about a ceremony. 
You know, that's, that is Western, that is a Western thought process about actually having a ceremony. And it's not when you actually say, I do, and the minister pronounces you husband and wife that you're actually married. It really says in the Bible that you're married when two commit themselves to one another. And so him and this girl, um, him and this girl were sleeping together because in their brain, uh, they were married. Because they had committed themselves to one another. Well, here's what's not funny at all, uh, but it's pretty interesting, pokes a lot of holes in his theology. Well, as soon as she got pregnant, he headed for the hills. Called me up one day, said, he's man, when you talk. Like anytime I get that call I, from about somebody who's about 21 and single, I know what it typically is related to. <laughs> Brother, we got to talk right now. And I'm like, okay. So he met me up at the church. We lived in Austin and... Uh, he said, uh, he called the girl by name, and uh, he, he, said that she's, he said she's pregnant. He said, well, I don't know what to do. He said, I, I, don't, think we can, I don't think we can be together. I said, bro, I thought you were married. <laughs> and I had to really, it was one of those conversations I had to really work on not being sarcastic. Like, I had to really, really tone it down. Because I just wanted to, like, real, I wanted to open it up and, like, just start slamming through some theological gears on him and just being, like, but I didn't. And I was just like, okay, uh, so, so, so now what? So, so she's pregnant, and you're gone. Well, I, you know, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I mean, I want to be there. Well, if you want to be there, you're going to be there. Yeah, but it's, it's difficult. It's more difficult. No, 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 it's not. Well, but I just, well, you should have thought about that somewhere before this point. I can give you about 12 points that have been a good point to start thinking about this, and none of them is now. <laughs> and he found himself in this spot, and I had sympathy for the guy. I felt bad for the guy, but what I really realized in that moment was he had a horrible understanding of the Scripture. He believed something that is absolutely not biblical. But why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? Well, and why do you not believe the things that you don't believe? Well, I don't believe God would do that. Why do you believe that? Well, you know, because my mom told me that one time when I was riding in the car. Well, okay, great. But, like, if, that's the, if that is the sheer foundation of your convictions, you missed it. The one person who comes along with a little bit of knowledge of the word of God is going to be able to blow holes in that thing. Because why? Your conviction is based on an opinion that someone told you rather than the scripture being the source and the root of why you believe what you believe. So we as convicted people have to construct our lives based on the thing that we're committed to, which is the word of God. So if we're going to be committed to the word of God and we're going to allow that to be the construction of our life, then what the word of God says about our life and how we've been called to live is really has to be the marker for where we go and what we do. I don't have the right to determine or shape or mold the scripture to fit 2016 and how I want to live. There's some things the Bible just says. And guess what? Those things that the Bible says have to take root in my life. And if they don't, then I'm wrong. doesn't matter if it's, well, it's not culturally cool to do that anymore. Who cares? It's in the word of God. And if we believe the word of God is the word of God, then we have to be committed to the fact and allow it to be the constructing point of who we are inside of our lives. We have to establish, construction is about establishing a routine in your relationship. 
establishing a routine in your relationship. Let me give you this scripture. 2 Timothy 2, 15. They're going to put that back up there for you again. We read it just a second ago. 2 Timothy 2, 15. It says this. It says, work hard so you can present yourself and receive his approval. Be a good worker. And it says, and one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of God. I love the verse. Hold on. Verse 16. We'll read verse 16 too just because it's amazing. It says, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. There's some things that you're probably talking about that are perpetuating the attitude, the feelings inside of you that are only leading you further away from the Lord than closer to the truth that he has for you. The more you talk about how your husband frustrates you or your wife frustrates you or you just don't get it and God don't understand and just blah, 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 all these things, guess what? Your relationship probably is never going to change. But until you begin to speak life into that relationship, even when you're annoyed, even when you're annoyed, you have a responsibility. You understand if, if the scripture is our authority, then what you have, you'll understand by understanding the scripture is your authority is that you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to speak the word of God even when I don't want to. To believe in faith even when it feels like faith is the furthest thing from me. To be generous even when it feels like my pockets are absolutely empty. To walk and say, God, I believe that no matter what my circumstance and situation is, I believe that your word has to be the constructing point of who my life. There has to be a routine to your relationship. When do you read your word? Isn't it funny that in the church we don't often talk about daily Bible reading anymore? We talk about grand, like grand nebulous ideas. It's like, whoa, like, okay, that's awesome. But like, when was the last time you cracked open your Bible? <laughs> like, like, it's like when was, when was the last time we like actually prayed? Well, I just, but I, I pray without ceasing. No, you just think about a lot of things. Like, no, you don't. You, you worry all the time. You're stressed to the max and you think. Like, you don't, there's a big difference between thinking and praying. Well, it's a, so you're saying I'm supposed to actually, but no, I'm saying it is a position of our heart. You know what I do have to do every Sunday morning or I'll freak out every Sunday morning, literally I'll freak out every Sunday morning, is I have to go to the Lord in prayer. I, I start, and I have to start before Sunday morning. I have to start typically on about Saturday at one o'clock. And I'm like, oh, the service tomorrow. I'm like, God, I hope it's good. Like, Lord, help us to, you know, whatever. And, I, and I'll begin to start thinking about stuff. And I wonder if they're going to be there. And I wonder if they're going to be there. And I wonder if we fix this. And do we have this? And is this going to blah, 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 blah. And I have to just stop. I have to say, Lord, you know exactly who's going to be there. And who's going to be there is who needs to be there. And I believe that the word that you're given is for those in the room. And those in the room are going to take that word, be carriers of that word. We're not living for Sunday, but we're living for Monday. We're living to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And I, and I have to pray that. I, I have to pray. I have to pray it before I come out. Like I used to be, when I played baseball a lot, um, I was the type of person I would throw up before every game just because I'd get myself like, not intentionally, not my, woo, like hyping myself up in the corner, you know, like ready to go. I just get up in my head and I'm like, oh my God, my what? Like, and I'm just standing in the corner throwing up. Like, I just, just what I would do. I would just throw up. And it was like, it's okay. Like, give him a second. I'm like, I'm good. Just let me get this Gatorade out of my stomach real quick. And uh, it was bad. I remember one time I went over to actually to Miss Annette's house. And uh, I went and me and Ryan and some of the other guys were working out. And for whatever reason, I decided before I went to the house to drink one of those big, like, 32 ounces of Powerade and eat an iced honey bun. And, um, and <laughs> there was this workout that was called the 300 workout. And, like, supposedly if you did it, you'd look like the guys off 300. Yeah, well, didn't work. Probably because I only did it one time. Uh, because I did this workout. Next thing I know, I'm laying out in Miss Annette's front yard throwing up in the grass. Like, like 
It was the honey bun. It got me. The, the honey bun, they'll get you every time. And I, like, I was that type of person where I would just, I would get psyched up and start throwing up all over the place. I remember one of my birthday parties was after, was, was, was right before a baseball game. And we had my birthday party and then went to the baseball game. And like, there's pictures of me like throwing up, like between birthday party and baseball game. Just, it's like, it's too much for me. Like you're celebrating me and I've got to go play. I'm going to throw up all over the place. Like, it's just too much. Can't handle it. But what happens is, is that we can get so amped up in our life that what we really forget is, is we forget what the source is. And so then we can begin to think, well, it's about me, and it's about what I say, and it's about the lights, and it's about, are our greeters nice? And does our parking lot, like, do they stare at people like we're looking for someone? Like, or do they actually wave? Or like, you know, I think about all these things. And, and then I have to lean on the Lord and just say, God, you are the source of all of this. What you're doing in this room already, what you're doing in our church already is miraculous. Like the growth that we're seeing is phenomenal. And so it's like, God, okay, like look at what you're already doing. So God, I'm just going to just rest and relax and realize it has nothing to do with me anyways. But when we don't understand and don't have a routine to our relationship and a time to where we're reading our word and we're spending some time with the Lord in prayer, then we can just really, really miss what God wants to do. I'm guilty of being a professional Christian. I'm guilty of being a professional Christian. I I do this for a living. I meet with a thousand people a week. I talk to people about all kinds of issues. There's a lot of things that are just stored up in my brain because of the experiences I've had. And we can sit down and talk about almost any issue. And it's easy for me not to hear from the spirit rather than just to speak from my flesh. And so often now when I meet with people, I'll ask somebody, I'll say, hey, what do you want to discuss before we get there? Why? Because it gives me time to pray about it and to hear from the Lord before I get there. Because I used to walk, because here's what I found about myself. If I walk into a meeting blind, I can often just talk out of my experience rather than talking from the Holy Spirit. And so I'll ask people a lot now, and I know it kind of makes people uncomfortable sometimes, because uh, I'm like, well, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, well, I just really wanted to talk. I'm like, okay, well, that's great, but what do you want to talk about? And it's not because I'm trying to get a heads up on you so I can like cut your knees off when I get there, but it's so that I can understand what you're doing and what you want to discuss so that I can go to the Holy Spirit ahead of you because I believe God can even speak to me before you speak to me. I believe if he is the Holy Spirit and he is as powerful as we believe and the word says he is, then he could share insight about your situation before I ever hear about your situation. Okay, you're with me on that. Under construction, so we have to establish a routine in our relationship, and then we have to contribute to the community. I'm not talking about the community like Pensacola or America. I'm talking about the community inside of the local church. God has called us to be contributors, not just receivers and consumers. We live in a consumer-driven society. We want the new phone, the new car, the new house, the new job, the new whatever. We want the new thing. And that consumer mentality has bled into the side of the church. We want, to, we want to come and receive. But like we said earlier, we forget the verse in the word that says, freely you have received, so freely you give. I give of my time. I give of my talent. I give of my treasure. Those are the things that God has called us to give. Okay, three, third and final thing. The third thing is this. The first thing is we have to be committed if we're going to be convicted people. We have to construct if we're going to be convicted people. And the last and final thing is that we have to have courage. Yeah. Courage to act on those convictions in faith. Yeah. We have to have courage to act on the convictions we say we have. It's one thing to be like, oh, praise God, I am not going to have sex till I'm married. Great. Now, when you find a really attractive man or a really attractive woman and you know God has called you to spend the rest of your life with him, that's the moment that that conviction is actually tested. It's not about what you said at the altar. It's about what you said when it's getting a little too hot and heavy and you know it's headed in the wrong direction and you better pump the brakes or things are going to get out of bounds real quick. 
Conviction is not what we just say here in this room. Well, praise God, I'm convicted to read my Bible every day. Okay, great. What do we do on Monday? The proof of that conviction is on Monday, not on Sunday. The proof of that conviction is not in a public setting. You don't see, I don't, I don't, I don't video me reading the Bible. I'm going to go Facebook Live to show you me in my private time. This is my private time, but I'm letting the whole world in on it. Like, no, it's your private time. Like, I don't feel the need to always share what God is speaking in my life. That's nothing wrong with it if you do. I just personally don't. I don't personally feel the need to every day post a picture of my Bible with a highlighted scripture that I might have just, I know a lot of folks because I, I say a lot of folks because I've been that folk before who I'm like, oh, I'll just open it up. I like that verse. It's already highlighted. Let's just Instagram a pic of that. And I'm like, I didn't read that that day. But it's because we want to portray the image of relationship rather than actually being willing to commit the sacrifice of relationship. It's much easier to post a picture of what we're trying to portray as our private life rather than actually living it in private. I realized real quick on my birthday, I, I, when I was a youth pastor, you know, we, we had the opportunity to minister to hundreds of students. We led two youth ministries that had over 1,000 students in them. The other one had about 750. And, and we, had, we had an awesome opportunity to lead thousands of youth over the decades, that, or the decades, the decade, the 10 years that God gave us in youth ministry. One of the most satisfying, fulfilling times in my entire life up until this season of leading Legacy House. I never thought I would find anything that I enjoyed more than youth ministry. And this has been harder than anything I've ever done. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of sleepless nights. There's a lot of moments where I say, God, I don't know. Uh, I can't do this by myself. Um, that's real quick. I, I, don't have to, I don't have to search God for that. Uh, that's presented typically every morning when I wake up. Uh, and what I found was in youth ministry, there's a lot of times when your birthday rolls around and I'd have a lot of students who, you know, who'd post a picture of you or something on Facebook and, or, or Instagram and say something nice or something witty or they'd post some really horrible photo of you that like they caught you making a really stupid face one time. And, but you know what always meant the most to me? What always meant the most to me was the kid who didn't say anything about it on social media but would send me a private text and just say, hey, you know, I love you today. Your life means a lot to me. I hope you have a good day. Like for me, that really mattered. Why? Because it wasn't about them being able to be seen or them being able to like be like publicly acknowledge me so that they could be acknowledged that they had a relationship with me. But it was just a low-key invitation that said, hey, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're my pastor. It means a lot to me. Thank you for being there for me. It meant a lot more. I don't really know why. Like for me, it's like, I had a lot of people who, who talked to me about the launch and, and, and were excited about the launch of the church. And then the very next morning, and I might've mentioned this, I don't know, but I, I one of my, closest friends. And, I, and honestly, he, he's more of a, I thought he was more of a ministry friend. And if you don't know what a ministry friend is, is a ministry friend is, is, is that if you have me come speak at your place, I'll have you come speak at my place and we'll exchange places like that. And that's kind of, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back kind of ministry friend. And he called me at 8 a.m. the morning after the launch and he said, hey, uh, how'd it go? And I said, what do you mean how to go? Like this guy was, this last week, he was just speaking at Hillsong all last week. And I'm like, I mean, it went, it went great. And I was like, thanks for calling. And he's like, why wouldn't I call? I was like, well, don't make me say it out loud. I'm gonna sound really stupid. I'm gonna make myself sound like I'm like this big. And you know, I, I, I said, I mean, because, I mean, I don't know. I just so I thought you'd be too busy. I mean, I didn't even, I said, I didn't even realize that you knew yesterday was my launch day. And he said, Curtis, he's he said, friends call each other on big days. He said, man, we're friends. And then like you have that like kind of that like that 14-year-old, like seventh grade like moment where you're like, we're really friends. Like, like, <laughs> like, 
And like, I said something like that, but it was a lot, you know, cooler. It was very like Hillsong-esque, you know. Brian Houston would be proud. You know, it was cool. It was cool. I was like, and he'll probably never know the significance of what that phone call meant to me. For him, it was just second nature because that's who he is. He's, he loves people. He builds relationships. He genuinely cares. And for me, I'm like, man, you genuinely care. I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for 11 years now. It still catches me off guard when someone just genuinely loves you. Just genuinely wants to know. Hey, man, how you doing? Oh, praise God, I, you know, just enjoy the Lord's my strength, amen. Like, no, like, how are you actually doing? I've had a really bad week. Tired, worn out, confused. You know, where we can really be honest. We can bear our soul. And for us to be convicted people, we have to be courageous people. We have to be people who say, you know what, God, no matter the, no matter the, the issue, the struggle, the trial that I face, God, I will go. I'll go. Lord, here I am. Send me. Let me give you this last verse. Isaiah 54, verse 4. It says this, and we're closing. It says, fear not. You will no longer live in shame. And don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. This goes on a little bit further and it says, you will no longer remember the shame of your youth or the sorrows of your widowhood. The Lord of the heavens armies and in his name and he is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, all the God of earth. Go back to the very first part of that verse, Isaiah. Go back to verse four. It says, fear not for you will no longer live in shame. Often fear comes out of a place of shame and shame holds us from being courageous and walking in the thing that God has for us. Here's what courage can be for you today. Courage can either be a spark or it can be a fire. There's a big difference between a spark and a fire. A spark creates fire, but spark without the proper like elements is just that. It's a flash. It's a moment. It's, it, it's potential. It's what could have been. But when it's surrounded by the right ingredients and the setting is just right, that spark can take root and it can begin to grow and burn into something greater and larger that isn't just here for a moment, but it remains as long as you continue to keep that fire fueled with the thing inside of your life. Today, courage has called you to be more than just a spark, but really to be a person who can walk in the boldness of the Holy Spirit, not where you're easily turned by this culture and the society that we live in, but where you can fix your eyes on the future that lies in front of you. It says, God, I'm not going to be a conflicted individual, but I'm going to be a convicted individual where I know the direction you've called me to. And it doesn't matter what I face. It doesn't matter what goes on around me. I know that this is the way that you have called me to live. I believe that your word is the source of my life. I will build my life according to the source being the word. And then I will step forward in courage that when those convictions get tested, I will not satisfy. I will not sit down. I will not settle to the mediocrity around me, but I will walk in the boldness of the Lord. We need some churches and some people and some me's that will just say, you know what? Come hell or high water, I'm going to pursue what God has called me to. All hell can come against me. And I, like, I want to be that type of bold. Like, all hell can come against me, and I pray that it does. I wake up, like, I want to be that type of person. Like, I have an aunt who's very 
very, she's kind of violent. And she used to pray. She's like, I pray the rafters would fall through this roof and smack. Like she's just, she's an intense woman. And uh, her daughter is too. And her other daughter is just it's a group of intense women from the hills of Eastern Kentucky. And, but I want to be that type of bold believer. But when we're operating off of a spark, you know, a spark can last for a minute. A spark can last for a service. Woo, felt God today. Amen. I'm going to hit me some Arby's and I'm going to go home and I'm not going to think about any of this till next Sunday. That's a spark. I, I believe, yes, God, amen, we need community. We need to bless people. Uh, we need to be generous. Uh, we, need to, we need to be in a circle group and connected in relationships. Praise God, but I'm, that's not for me, though. Our schedule's busy. All of our schedules are busy. Pray today that you'd have courage. Prayer for you as your pastor is that you'd have courage. Courage to weather the storm. The storm in your relationships, the storm in your home, the storm in your mind. That you'd have the courage to weather the storm, that your spark would become a flame. Reinhard Bonnke always says that there's a flame with your name on it. He talks about the, the, the thought of the upper room where it says that tongues, the flames of fire, came down and rested over the head of everyone in the room. There's a fire that God has given for you. It's not generic. It's not prepackaged. It's not purchased at Target. But it's for you today. It was in your bones when God created you. The Bible says that everything that you need is the purpose and the plan. It was in you when you took your first breath. You don't need God to give you something you don't have. You just need to dig down in your life and uncover what he's already given you. You don't need, you don't need the, the touch of the hand of man. You need a revelation of God. It says, hey, it's in you. Dig. It's in you. Pick up the shovel. Dust off the pain. Lay the shame to the side. And dig like hell is chasing you and heaven is in front of you. And you have a desire to see and win everybody that you can for the Lord. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life, or by following us on social media under the handle at LegacyHouseFL. Don't miss next week's podcast from our house to yours.